Psalm 99. The Lord reigns. Let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Great is the Lord in Zion. He is exalted over all the nations. Let they praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. The king is mighty. He loves justice. You have established equity. In Jacob you have done what is just and right. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called on the Lord and he answered them. He spoke to them from the pillar of cloud. They kept his statutes and the decrees he gave them. Lord our God, you answered them. You were to Israel a forgiving God, though you punished their misdeeds. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's great to be here this morning. Uh, I've been told in no uncertain terms by my wife, Arthur, it's the World Cup final today. So keep the sermon short. And don't worry, I've, uh, I've listened to her words of advice and I'll, uh, I'll keep it short for today. Uh, what comes to mind? Why don't I pray for us now uh, before we go to look at God's word? Heavenly Father, uh, we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and your greater glory our supreme concern. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. What comes to mind when you think of a king or queen? I know there are some people here who love history, uh, and so maybe you think of this guy. Anyone know who this is? King Henry VIII. Yeah, so maybe you think of this guy, uh, someone who's power hungry, a, a womanizer, and someone who you don't want to get on the wrong side of. Or maybe you think more recently uh, of uh, our dear Queen, Queen Elizabeth II, a woman who lived her whole life in service of her country. Or maybe some of you here are movie fans. Anyone here a movie fan? Maybe you, you like the king from one of my favorite movies of all time, King T'Challa uh, from Black Panther. Um, I'm not really that much of a Marvel guy in general, but I really loved this film, Black Panther, and one of the things I loved about it uh, was the way in which Chadwick Boseman uh, so clearly portrays the role of a warrior king who does everything in service of his country. Or, or maybe, uh, if you think of what a king or queen looks like, you think more recently uh, of our new king, King Charles III, and you see him here being officially crowned. And the group of psalms that we've been looking at so far this summer, and that we come to today, are often called the coronation psalms. The coronation psalms because they focus on God as the king. And now we come to the grand finale of this section of psalms about God the king. And we see right at the very start, the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns, in other words, God is the king. God is the king. Uh, but one question you might ask yourself is, well, what type of king is our God? We've all seen, haven't we, 
the way in which too much power in the hands of the wrong people can lead to terrible results for society. Is God a king like King Henry VIII, who will change his mind on a whim and behead anyone who gets in his way? Well, this psalm tells us what God is like. And the first thing we see is that God is reigning and righteous. God is reigning and righteous. And this section of the Psalms gives us many pictures of what God's reigning looks like. So we saw a few weeks ago in Psalm 95 that the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. Then in Psalm 96, we heard a call to worship this great God, the King, and to sing to the Lord a new song. And then a couple of weeks ago, we learned more about the majesty of God, that the whole earth is his footstool. That's how vast God is. So let's just think about that for a second. I'd like you to imagine we've got this whole earth, I've got this, this whole globe here, and any one of us could spend our whole lives, even if we spent our whole lives just trying to explore the world, maybe we would be able to explore a very small fraction of this globe, okay? And yet, the God that we worship is so great, so vast, that to him, this whole world that we could spend our whole lives trying to explore and not even scratching the surface of, this is just a footstool to him. God is reigning. And we see that enthronement again in verse one. Um, the Lord reigns, let the earth tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. These aren't, these cherubim that it speaks of, these aren't small babies that we often picture. Uh, these are giant angels who strike fear into even the hardiest of people. And God, the Lord God himself, sits enthroned above them. And the glorious thing about this God is that he's not only reigning, but also righteous. So in our, in our world, we see, don't we, that power often corrupts. Those who wield it can sometimes use it to further their own ends, trample the weak, and enrich themselves. But God's reign turns this completely on its head. His power is used to uphold what is right and just. His righteousness ensures that his reign is always in the best interest of his creation. So look down with me at verse four. The king is mighty, he loves justice. You have established equity. In Jacob, you have done what is right and just. By the way, Jacob here just means Israel or God's Old Testament people. So God's reign isn't a recent phenomenon. Throughout all of the history of Israel, throughout all of the history of God's people, God has showcased his commitment to justice and equity. Time and again, when his people were oppressed or lost, he intervened, upholding justice and setting things right. So think back to the time of the Exodus, which this psalm refers to. God's people were oppressed, they were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. 
And God didn't just see this injustice and let it continue. No, in his righteousness, God intervened and established justice. God set his people free from their slavery in Egypt. So we've seen that God is reigning and righteous. And second, we see that God is distinctly divine. God is distinctly divine. So one thing that I often find helpful when I'm coming to a book of the Bible is to look for repeated phrases. So can anybody, as we look through this psalm, can anybody shout out a phrase that you see repeated a few times in this psalm? Can you say that really loud? He is holy, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so we see that in verse three. Uh, we see it again uh, at the end of verse five, he is holy. And then right at the very end of the psalm, to top it all off, again it says, he is holy. That's the big emphasis of this psalm, that God is a holy God. And this singular trait is what sets God apart from other people. He is his holiness. But what does it mean for God to be holy? And why is this so significant? Uh, At its core, holiness means to be set apart. So God's holiness is his utter distinctness from creation. And... um, far above anything else in creation. He stands alone, unparalleled, and peerless. As verse two puts it, great is the Lord in Zion. He is exalted over all the nations. Not only is God elevated above all earthly entities, but he is also exalted above all spiritual powers, so-called gods and idols. And this position isn't a matter of mere superiority, as though God were the best among equals. Instead, his divinity is of a completely different order altogether. Um, So I think the default assumption in the UK at the moment is that everybody either has one God that they worship or they have no God at all. Okay, that's kind of uh, the default assumption in most of our society at the moment. Uh, But that's quite a different assumption to what most of the world has and also what most of human history has had. Uh, Instead, the norm throughout most of human history has been that there's a wide selection of gods, uh, each of them having their own specific domain and expertise. So I'd like you to imagine that you're somebody living in the ancient world, okay, around the same time as the Israelites. And uh, you go to work one day, you go down to the quarry, and you're, you're cutting your rocks. Um, and as you're doing that, you get talking to one of your coworkers. And you, you get talking about the weather and about the harvest this year, as you do. Um, and he says he's really worried about the harvest this year. So what he's gonna do is he's made an offering to Dagon, the god of grain. Uh, okay, and Uh, you have your lunch, then you you get talking to somebody else at work, and they said that their brother has gone to fight in a battle, and so he set up a shrine in his house to Chemosh, the god of war. And on your walk back home, you see statues of 20 different gods, each with their own specific domains, one for healing, one for fertility, one for the sun, one for the sea, one for the birds, and one for the creatures of the land. Uh, This was the surrounding backdrop Uh, of the nations around Israel at the time. Many gods 
who were limited, often fickle, in, and human in their passions and failings. Uh, but the God of the Bible and the God of Psalm 99 is completely different to this. He is all-encompassing, steadfast, and flawless in his character. He is holy. So Psalm 99 reminds us that God isn't one God among many gods, like Zeus being the best of all the Greek gods, but rather he is the one and only God who is completely distinct from his creation. And when we think of this, a, a God who is completely distinct from his creation, uh, it's easy to imagine a ruler who is aloof, uh, distant and unapproachable. Yet the marvel of Psalm 99 the truly shocking thing about Psalm 99 is that this God, who is uh, reigning and righteous and who is distinctly divine, who is completely above us as humans, is also the very same God who is near and nurturing. Have you ever wondered what would happen if you wrote, a, if you wrote to the king to try and talk to him? Uh, well. I'm a curious person, so I tried this out myself. Uh, I wrote a little, little letter to the king. I actually invited him here to listen to this sermon today. Um, I, I wrote this a couple of months back. And uh, what do you think happened? Nothing. nothing. Yeah, that's right, nothing. Uh, I haven't heard anything back yet. Um, maybe one day, maybe one day if I'm really lucky, I'll get a polite letter from his secretary uh, politely declining. Or maybe if I'm even more lucky still, I'll get something a little bit like what my grandparents received this week. So my grandparents just celebrated their 60th wedding anniversary. And for that, they got this, this card from the king, the king and queen. Here they are smiling away, um, congratulating them on reaching 60 years of, of marriage to one another. Okay, that's the type of relationship we can expect to have with our king here on earth. So maybe one day he'll write us a letter after many years of marriage, but ultimately we he's very distant from us and it's unlikely we'll ever truly interact with him. And yet, even though God is the God who is so far above us, he is still the very same God who is near and nurturing to his people. So look down with me at verses six and seven. Uh, Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called on the Lord and he answered them. He spoke to them from the pillar of cloud. They kept his statues and the decrees he gave them. So these verses recount the moments when God was incredibly intimate uh, with the key figures in Israel's history. So first of all, let's take Moses, mentioned in verse six. We're told in Exodus 33, verse 11, that Moses would talk with God face to face, just as one talks with a friend. Okay, or take Aaron. Uh, Aaron was able to enter the Holy of Holies and see God's glory in the flesh. Or let's take Samuel. Samuel, a young boy who's um, who heard God, God's voice calling him in the night. These weren't distant, impersonal interactions. This wasn't a letter uh, sent from afar. These were deep, intimate dialogues between God and his servants. Uh, but it wasn't just about God being near. 
the nurturing nature of God is evident in his responses. So when, the pe- when God's people called to him, he answered them. He wasn't a silent deity, distant and uninvolved. He responded, he guided, and he provided. Uh, the pillar of cloud is a symbol of God's guidance and protection during Israel's wilderness journey. And God continues to speak to his people today. Um, While you and I may not be able to speak to God face to face in the way Moses did, still every time we come to God in his word, we're hearing um, the voice of the one and true and living God speaking to us today. And every time that we pray, we're praying to this God of the universe who's completely above um, all of humanity. I know my grandparents have been looking forward to that letter from the king for several months. Uh, but think, just think, if that's how excited they are just to get one letter from the king of England, how much more so should we be excited every time we get to hear from God in his word today? So what does all of this mean for us today? Well, first, it offers us assurance. Uh, I know that many of us, many people here have faced injustices of many kinds. And our whole world can often feel chaotic and unjust. We've all experienced leaders who disappoint. Uh, But amidst all this, we can take solace in the fact that our ultimate king, the Lord, is both reigning and righteous. His reign isn't limited by borders, time, or human failings. He's not like the rulers of this age who often disappoint. He is reigning, he's righteous, and he's holy, always looking out for the best in his people. And second, it offers us a model for how to live our lives. So in the New Testament, we see Psalm 99 referred back to as a guide to what the life of every Christian should look like. Uh, In 1 Peter 1, verses 15 and 16, we read, just, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. In other words, in just the same way as the God of the universe is completely separate uh, from the earth and he's completely set apart in all things, so our lives should be so distinctive from the lives of those around us that we should be seen as a completely um, different people. So to give just one example of what this might look like uh, from Psalm 99, um, we'll all at some point have times in our lives where we'll be in a position of authority. And the tempting thing for us to do when we have that situation is to use that authority uh, to serve ourselves or to make our own name great. And that's the pattern we often see around us. Uh, But God's example challenges all of the people in positions of authority. True leadership, as modeled by God, is always in service of justice and righteousness. To be holy as God is holy would mean to use our position of authority in service um, of, of God and of the people around us. 
And lastly, this beckons a response. In the face of such a king, we can only approach with reverence and worship. So look down with me at verse five. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. A recognizing God's unique reign should leave us, lead us to a posture of humility, awe, and deep respect at the God who rules over all. Why don't we come to this great God in prayer now? Father God, we thank you for your righteous rule over us. Thank you that in all things you are completely holy and above all the things in your creation. And we thank you and praise you that even though you are so far above us, you still interact intimately with your people, that we can hear from you in your word and talk to you in prayer. And we pray all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.